Imagine uh, right now at the beginning of message time, if I were to take uh, a handful of you guys and say, hey, okay, we're going we're gonna to start preaching right now. Uh, before we get into it, uh, could you, 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 and you just come? I, I've got kind of a, a few things that I want to say to you before uh, I, I preach to everybody else. Um, would you be a little bit interested <laughs> um, in what that's all about? Uh, I think I would. And this is what's happening in this moment uh, here in Matthew chapter 5 as, as we get going. I think most of us, if you've grown up in the church, and if you even know anything what I'm talking about when I say the Sermon on the Mount, you have this idea of the crowds who are following Jesus, who come to this mountain, and, and there's just uh, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people sitting here waiting and soaking in the teaching of Jesus, which is partially true. Uh, crowds have been following him uh, as he's been doing these grand miracles, these healings. He's been teaching uh, like nobody else has ever done before with power and authority. And people are pretty impressed. And, and Matthew 5 opens up with saying, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so, yes, there are crowds all around. But I get this picture of actually Jesus up on this hilltop or up on this mountain with the crowds down below. But these disciples here. And Jesus kind of giving them a, a pre-message talk specifically to them. And I don't think I've ever uh, read the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the opener this way before, uh, to see that Jesus is, is really specifically preaching this to his disciples, to his closest followers. There are crowds here who are really interested in seeing something great. They're really interested in being entertained. They're, they're really interested in the, in the cool stuff. In fact, many of these will, will flee uh, just days from now as Jesus says some really hard teachings and they say, who can follow this? I'm out. Um, but these disciples, Jesus gathers and he says some, some really powerful and intentional stuff, which I think for us means that we really need to open up our ears to listen to this. Because in a way, that's, that's exactly what's happening this morning. There are crowds. There are crowds even at this school right now. Um, and yet there are, are a specific group of people who have dedicated some time on their Sunday morning to come and sit and listen to the words of Jesus. And so, so these words are so specifically for you this morning that I cannot stress that enough. God has a word for you that he wants you to hear. Because you are his follower. And you have dedicated your time and your energy to be here. And he has something for you. And, and here's what he opens it up and says. He says, he, he opens his mouth and taught them. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. Let's continue down. Uh, because because it, it, it's almost like Christianese jargon. It, it's so many words that we've heard so many times that they, it loses their meaning. And, and what it even does that say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, great. Um, and as I was thinking about teaching these, these Beatitudes, and my plan was to go through them all today, as I was just looking at this first one and studying it and, and digging into it, I was like, when I actually sit and read this and think about what it says, this is incredibly powerful. And we all need to hear this. 
And so I want to walk you through this first beatitude. And it's not my intention to spend weeks and weeks and weeks on each of these. uh, But this one, I was just blown away this week by exactly what this is saying and what this means. And I hope you are too, because this is something that each and every one of you, each and every one of us, so desperately needs to hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Allow me to nerd out for just a, a, a brief second. Uh, the, the Greek word for blessed here is makarioi. Will you say that with me? Makarioi. Try it. Wow, this is great. You guys are getting free Greek. This is awesome. Cost me $6,000. Anyways, uh, blessed, makarioi. This word means spiritually favored by God. They are given a spiritual advantage over others who are around them. They are recipients of God's gifts. Uh, When God extends his benefits to people, those people are given a title, and that title is makarioi, blessed. See, I think this is so powerful because our idea or our understanding of blessed is oftentimes uh, either materially or this kind of like intangible spiritual thing that I don't even know. Oh, I'm feeling blessed today, which equals I'm good. I'm not sick or something like that. Or... or, um, I'm so blessed because I got a bonus uh, this past year on, on my paycheck, and that's awesome. And, and sure, maybe, maybe there's a role for that, but, but the actual definition of this word blessed is so deep and so powerful that it is, it is literally God giving his riches to someone. His intangible spiritual benefits, his riches, he is advancing it on someone. That's, that's uh, one of the like, literal definitions, is God advancing his benefits on someone. For someone to become large and long in the blessings of God. And that word is so full right there. And, and, and this happens to a subset of people. And that subset is the poor in spirit. And as I researched this word, the poor in spirit, this isn't just people who are kind of going through a bad spiritual time, or they feel far from God, or they're not really too sure what to believe. And I think that's how I would have used it before really digging in and researching. That, you know what, for people who, who are just uh, kind of in a spiritual valley, God, God loves them and blesses them too. No, not at all. Actually, the poor in spirit here are, are, are literally poor. Uh, they're destitute. They're broken. They have nothing spiritually. The state of being spiritually destitute without what one needs in the spiritual realm. You think about that. Without what one needs. Uh, you need things spiritually to be able to live. And to be poor in spirit means to be without what you need. To be dying, to be dead, to be on your way to death, completely lacking, totally helpless. And Jesus begins gathering his disciples together, and he says, and he's actually speaking directly to them. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. He looks at his disciples, the one he calls, by the way, the one he reaches out to, And he recognizes this about them. You are completely lacking. You are without what you need in this world. You are spiritually broken and destitute. And he says, blessed are you. And and he doesn't even just stop there, but he gives a promise. 
He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs will be. Not someday they will receive. But this is like as present tense as it gets. Theirs right now is the kingdom of heaven. To these people who are broken and poor and completely lacking, right here, right now, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The reign of heaven is theirs. If, you, if, you're, if this is sounding over your head, if this is sounding too intellectual, uh, all, all I want you to do is to, if you have your Bible open, look back into the very end of chapter 4, and now you understand what the kingdom of heaven is. I'll just read it to you. As he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, his fame spread and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with diseases and, and, and paralytics and, and those who were oppressed by demons, and he healed them. This is the reign of heaven, that where Jesus goes, blind people see, deaf people hear, paralyzed people start walking around. People who have demons, those demons are gone. This is the reign of heaven. Where Jesus goes, healing happens. Beauty happens. I, I, just get this, I just get this image in my head whenever I think about the reign of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Imagine a desert, just this rocky, barren wasteland. It's, it's, it's like the surface of Mars. It's, it's just rocky and dead and red and ick. And, and yet Jesus is walking and every step he takes, there's just grass growing and flowers are blooming and, and trees are sprouting up and you just get this picture of just life happening where Jesus is walking and everybody who, who he walks by, who, who he touches, they're healed, they're perfect and, and everything is great. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus wants to do and is already at work doing. And what scripture says has happened immediately in your heart when you become a follower of him. Blessed are the poor in spirit for heaven has happened now in them. Do you realize what, hap what happens, what has to happen for heaven to happen now in you? You have to realize something. That's not too fun to realize. That, that spiritual growth, spiritual blessings, spiritual uh, renewal can happen by you. And this is a hard thing for our world to hear right now because we are all about trying to seek our inner peace, our inner spirit, our inner guidance, our inner wisdom. And we go to wellness retreats and we do yoga and we do all of these different things. And I'm not knocking yoga. I love it. But I, I oftentimes just ignore the, what the teacher says and just do the poses. Uh, uh, we seek this inner enlightenment. And, and what Jesus is saying is that for the kingdom of heaven to be yours, you need to realize the truth of your situation. That you are completely and spiritually bankrupt. And you have no ability to get what you need on your own. Saviors are for desperate people. Many Americans don't need or want a savior. Many Americans love a helper. Many Americans love a friend. Many Americans want a cheerleader 
who's behind them in their life, kind of cheering them on uh, as they fulfill their purpose and find their inner meaning and their hope and, and everything. And, and God's just back there like, go get them, tiger. You got this. That's what, that's what many Americans want. But, but Jesus gathers his disciples away from the crowds, away from the people who are just looking for entertainment, away from the people who are looking for the next great big miracle, away from the people who are, who are acting like God is their vending machine who gives them what they need when they need it and, 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 then, and then they can kind of you know, shove them off for a little bit. He gathers the spiritually bankrupt people and he says, blessed are you. Heaven is happening right now in your heart as I gather you together and give you me. Saviors are for desperate people. And so the thing that we need to do right now is the thing we most don't want to do is to find ourselves desperate for God. To find ourselves spiritually bankrupt. To, to realize the truth of our situation that I am hopeless. I'm hopeless. I am poor in spirit. I am destitute. I am a beggar before God. And, and what does that look like is the question. Here's what people who are poor in spirit do. First of all, they look for Jesus. Poor in spirit, people look for Jesus. I love this verse up here, Matthew 6. Lord, to whom shall we go? These disciples say. Lord, to whom shall we go? I think this is actually John 6, by the way, not Matthew 6. I'm sorry. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This happens after Jesus is saying some really hard things. And, and a lot of people leave him. A lot of these crowds, they leave. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Are you going to leave too? And they're, and they're like, Where are we going to go? We're poor, we're bankrupt, we're spiritually broken and empty. You have what we need. We're going to cling to you. Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus centered. And when you look at your life, can you say that? When you look at your life, is everything centered around your desperate need for Jesus? Are the decisions that you're making centered around your desperate need for Jesus? Are they going to draw you closer to him or are they going to actually pull you further away? And I love, I love making sure that when we hear Jesus first, we also talk about being Jesus-centered. Because Jesus isn't someone to just check off our list and then move on to second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. No, Jesus-centered means he's at the middle of everything that we are, everything we say, everything we do, and it all flows around that. Whether we're at work, whether we're at play, whether we're with our church friends, or whether we're with our non-church friends. Everything centers around Jesus and who he is. And people can't help but know that we're a Jesus guy or we're a Jesus girl. It's impossible. It's impossible not to know that because it's just ingrained into who we are. And poor in spirit people seek constant forgiveness. And this is a huge misconception that causes a lot of us spiritual pain is we have this, uh, this misinformed belief that the better we are or the further we go down on this spiritual journey, the less we're going to need forgiveness. That is so completely broken. 
In fact, you will find that the deeper you go on this spiritual journey, the more you desperately need God. The more you desperately need His forgiveness because you, come, you become more and more aware of your brokenness, your helplessness each and every day. And, and this is the painful thing about following Jesus is because you feel like you're advancing and you should be getting so much better and you should be getting so much closer, but when you look at your life, it just looks so much worse. And that's because you love him more and more and realize that he is your only hope. He is your only help. And you can't do this on your own. You need him so desperately. And so the further you go, the more broken you become. And, and that's perfect. And he says, blessed are you. You broken sinner. And the people who have, who have mentored me the most have constantly humbled me as I, as I sit down with them and realize, man, all they do is sit and, and confess their sin <laughs> regularly and constantly and they're apologizing for the way they're talking or the way they're speaking or they're sitting down and they're taking notes from me and I'm like, you're 60, I'm 30. Well, I should be taking notes. What are you doing? Uh, and these people are amazing and incredible people because they've realized how poor in spirit they are and how much God has to give them. Constantly seeking forgiveness. What do poor in spirit people do? They seek spiritual healing and refreshment from the source who gives it to them. They pray. They pray often. They pray constantly. They are regularly at prayer uh, because they believe that their Father in Heaven is good to His Word when He says, if you, if you ask, I'll give it to you. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door is going to be open to you because you are bankrupt and you are destitute and you know that I'm going to give you everything you need. And, and the closer to God you become, the more that your prayers are going to become exactly the prayers he wants you to pray. The things that you seek are exactly the things he wants you to seek. The things that you're asking for are exactly the things that he wants you to ask for, and he will answer that with a yes every time. And you will find even the no's become yeses. Where you're like, man, that was the best no God ever said to me. Have you ever had one of those no's where you're like, thank God he didn't answer that prayer? <laughs> I can think of several. Fasting. This is an essential part of Christian life. And one that we don't talk about often, uh, except for maybe when Lent rolls around, which is coming, by the way, and how convenient that we're talking about it before Lent, so you can prepare yourself uh, for a fast. And, and I think that these words are perfect for that. Is this, is not this the fast that I choose from Isaiah? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Every yoke, the thing that... Uh, uh, it, presses down on us and forces us in this uh, burdensome work and toil is that word. And, and the fast that God wants is the things that will cause us to remove sin from our lives. The things that will cause us to experience the rest and the refreshment He desires. Is it a food? It might be. Is it a social media thing? It might be. Is it technology? It probably is. When you think about fasting, and I encourage each and every person to think about fasting. If you've never fasted, you should. 
is think about a, a, a thing that causes you either to, to sin or a thing that gets in the way of you spending time with your Savior and remove that from your life. And every time you remove something from your life when you're fasting, you need to add something. This is the key. You're not just taking something away just to make yourself sound good or, or to be able to say, hey, I'm on day five. How awesome. No. You are adding something and that something is God and his word. And so every time you feel that pain of hunger, if it's a food fast, you go straight to prayer or you go straight to scripture. Every time you feel that desire to take out your phone and, 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 and jump on Facebook, no. You go straight to God. You go straight to prayer. Every time you take something away when you fast, you add something in order to remove wickedness, in order to remove oppression, and to experience the freedom God wants from you. Poor in spirit people seek community. They know that this is not a walk to walk alone, but they are desperate for brothers and sisters who, who believe to support them on their journey because this is way too hard to do by ourselves. It's way too hard. Day by day, these disciples, every day they went to temple together, they ate together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This isn't saying that each day you need to go to church and take communion. No. This is saying you should be constantly, regularly gathering with people who can love you and support you in your spiritual walk and share meals with them. Get intimate with them. Go deep with them. Not just, hey, how are you? Hey, someday we should get together. Hey, that'd be great. And then it never happens. No, do it. And do it regularly and constantly. The last one is this. Porn spirit people seek divine wisdom. Porn spirit people seek divine wisdom. Head knowledge and heart action. It's not just filling my head with smart things so that I'm a smart Christian and I can answer any debate or argument you want to throw my way. No. It's to protect myself from spiritual oppression and to advance this kingdom that has already reigned in my heart into this world. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I love that verse because it shows that wisdom isn't just a thing that's in my head that I know stuff, but man, it directly influences my life and who I am. And this Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ, his word, his teachings, his scripture dwell in you richly. I've said this probably each Sunday since the new year because I think that this, this year everybody should know the Bible in and out and deeply. Let this word dwell in you richly. If you want to compete against someone, compete against knowing the Bible better than anyone else teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You get that? Like, learn more about Jesus and then let the wrong things in your heart and in your life be corrected. Oh, that's a toughie. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what spiritually poor people do. They are constantly seeking forgiveness. They are chasing after Jesus. They are seeking the refreshment and, and, and the renewal that only he gives. And they're seeking the wisdom that comes from him from above. Because they know this. And this is the quote I'm going to end with. Uh, uh, the theologian I love the most. Uh, good old Martin Luther. His last words on his deathbed were this. We are beggars. This is true. 
the person who has written more collective works than I will be able to read in my lifetime, the person who has uh, quoted uh, uh, one of the most of, of all Christian leaders and church fathers, this man who, who has started a movement that has uh, reinvigorated Christianity from staleness. He says, we are beggars. This is true. As he dies, he realizes... I'm a beggar for anything and everything God can give me. And he realizes on his deathbed, he's about to receive it all in full. My prayer for us as we leave today is that we would know that we are beggars and that we would come before God as beggars. Please. Give me anything. Give me everything. Whatever you have to give, please. And he will look at you and he will say, Blessed are you, poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we are beggars. This is true. Though we don't always act it, though we don't always uh, feel it, though we don't always believe it, uh, though we constantly try to rely on ourselves, to rely on those around us, to rely on our circumstances, we are beggars. I pray, Lord, that you would break us down from self-sufficiency. Break us down from, from spiritual, uh, pick us up by our own bootstraps theology. And that we would desperately come before you on our knees with our hands open and ask for anything and everything that you'll give us, knowing that you will. I thank you, Jesus, for the cross that shows this in full. When we were broken, when we were lost and helpless and hurting at just the right time, you sent your son to die on that cross and by his blood to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness and to restore us to you. Lord, we are beggars. We need you. Fill us. And within our hearts, right here, right now, bring heaven. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.